0: Okay. Um, Please turn with me to Mark chapter 2, verse 1 to 17. That's Mark chapter 2, verse 1 to 17. And please follow along as I read from the English Standard Version. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying we never saw anything like this he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming up to him and he was teaching them oh. and as he passed by he saw Levi the son of Alphaeus sitting at the tax booth and he said to him follow me and he rose and followed him
1: Oh, hello. (laughs) I'm going to give you guys a hard time for that. No, I'm just joking. Um, Thanks, Jill, for reading the scriptures for us. Um, If you're joining us for the first time, maybe you jumped online, maybe you're here in person for the first time, Uh, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark uh, for the last maybe month and a half. Um, This is going to be the last one, and we're going to pause for a bit. Uh, From next week, we're going to jump into kind of a standalone sermon, and then we've got Easter. Easter. And then after Easter, we'll have another series after that that will just be a self-contained series. Uh, talking about Kingsway, uh, we want to let you know a little bit more about what we're about, what our vision is, etc. And then we will return back to Mark. And I don't know if you were here when we started, but that's how we're going to do it. We're going to be in Mark for a little bit, then we're going to go somewhere else, come back to Mark, etc. Now we're at the sixth um, sermon on Mark at chapter 2, as you saw, verse 1 to 17. And today I want to talk about sin, And how in Jesus, your sins are forgiving. Now lately, as I've been feeding Zoe, Zoe's uh, our daughter, by the way, she's turning one very soon. Uh, She's been doing this thing that Reuben used to do back when he was around her age. Um, And she's become more picky uh, with what she wants to eat. And she's kind of discovered what she wants. Uh, She knows now what she wants. And when she doesn't want something, she does one of three things. She'll either clamp her mouth shut, right, and you know, she won't open her mouth. The second thing she might do, she'll take the food, but immediately she'll push her tongue out, and all the food will just kind of just come down, you know, everywhere. Or the third thing that she might do, which is the, the most annoying, uh, she'll take the food, and then she'll go, right, and all the food kind of just splats all over my face, on the floor, on my clothes, um, but that's what she does, right? She's gotten to an age where she knows what she wants. All right? And the thing is, with kids, uh, it's interesting. Uh, she wants the things uh, that are not good for her. And right? she doesn't want the things that are good for her. Right? The healthy mixture of vegetables and meat that my wife you know, planned out and she cooked and then she blended and pureed. That good stuff that is healthy for her, she doesn't want that. What she wants is the fruit, right? That's her dessert, right? And so what we've done is, and we did this with Reuben, we would get a spoon of the healthy stuff, the good stuff, the stuff that she needs, and then we dip it a little bit into the fruit, right, to trick her. And then she looks at the spoon and she goes, fruit, and we're like, ha, and then we feed her and then she eats it, right? And she hasn't figured it out yet, Um we're, we're fooling her, right? She doesn't want what she needs, but she acts like she needs what she wants, Right? She doesn't want what she needs, but she acts like she needs what she wants. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, that's not a problem that only kids have. Right? We, as adults, we still kind of do that. We, we, want, right? we don't want what we need, right? what's good for us, what's healthy for us. And oftentimes, we act like we need what should be just a want, right? a good thing. But we act like we, we need it. Right? The difference is we don't have a parent next to us. Telling us or making us choose the good thing. And this shows up in a lot of areas in our lives. One example is shopping, let's say. I need right, that new jacket or the jeans. Right? We, we act like we need something, but it's just something that you know, should be a want. Or decision-making, relationships, food. Right? We don't want what we need, and we act like we need what should be just a want. But most importantly, uh, this shows up in our relationship with God. The things that the Christian needs, right, we can list a few things. Prayer, the scriptures, church, right, a lot of times we don't want those things that we need. And instead we come to God and we act like we need the things that aren't that important. They're just wants. God, I want my life to be comfortable, right, I want that job, right, I want to be recognized, right, etc., and so today, I want to talk about that dynamic, and specifically, I want to talk about our greatest need as people. Out of all the things that we need, right, the things that God says we need, first and foremost, right, what is right up there at the top? Right? What is our greatest need? And after I explain what that is, I'm going to ask, do you want that thing? Right? Do you want what you need? Right? That, that's all I'm going to say today, okay? So let's jump into it. First, I just want to point out this thing, that Jesus is our great God. Now, our verses today, there's two stories, right? Our first two points will come from the first story, and then our third point will come from the second story. Now, we're in verse 1 to 12. This is the first story. Now, it begins like this, verse 1. This is the context. When Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that Jesus was at home, and many were gathered together. So that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. I think a couple of weeks ago, I said Capernaum is gonna be the base of Jesus' ministry. He's gonna be there, then he's gonna go out and preach and come back, vice versa. And he's returned to this base, right? Capernaum. And people hear that Jesus is back in Capernaum and they flock to him again. So many people are there to see him that the house is full and they open up the door just to let in a few more people and the doorway itself is full. It's like a can of... Sar- oh, okay. Can we, let, let's burn that microphone. Let's check it. It's literally a full house. Right? Imagine, like, it's, it's packed, and you can't even get through the doorway. And then it says, verse 3, And they came, bringing to Jesus a paralytic, carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, remember, there's not even space at the door, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Palestinian roofs were, were not like ours. Our roofs are kind of triangle-shaped. They were flat, and they use that area for a lot of different things. They go up there to work, uh, maybe on a hot day, they go up there to sleep, uh, they put stuff up there to dry in the sun. And so they kind of go up the side entrance onto the roof, and they do this, when you think about it, very extreme thing, they dig a hole through the roof. They're punching a hole through someone else's roof, right? This is someone else's house. When you think about it, it's, it's over the top. It's a little bit embarrassing. It kind of feels rude. <laughs> I mean, you don't, they probably don't even know whose house it is, and they're digging a hole through the roof. But Jesus says in verse 5, this is what drove them. It wasn't arrogance. It wasn't because they're these punk kids who don't care about whose roof it is. He says in verse 5 that it was faith. Their tenacity, right, the, the reason why they don't give up when the room is full is because they believe that Jesus is able to heal, right? They have faith in Jesus. They believe that Jesus is the one who can make this man whole. The broken things in this man's life, Jesus can fix. He can right the wrongs. And because they believe that, when they hit an obstacle, they don't say, oh, well, we tried. They keep going. Even to go up on the roof, dig a hole, and let the man down. That's faith. Everything in the Christian life requires an element of faith. Not perfect faith. Not only faith. Not blind faith. But we need faith, right? To believe in God and have a relationship with Him. To read the Scriptures, to pray—all of that requires faith, right? You need faith, and that's what these people had. And so Jesus, He sees their faith, and He says something to the paralytic. And this is where we're going to just stay for a little while. This is what He says, verse five: "Son, your sins are forgiven." Son, your sins are forgiven. There's two uh, really important, really shocking things that we can learn from this statement. And the first one is about God. What Jesus is saying when he says this, he's saying that he is God. Right, let's read on verse 6. Jesus saw their faith. He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right, when the scribes, these are the religious leaders, the teachers of the time, when they hear Jesus say, your sins are forgiven, their response in their hearts, right, this is what they're thinking, is blasphemy. Jesus is committing blasphemy. Now, blasphemy, it's not a small thing. If someone commits blasphemy, they should die, right? They deserve to be killed by being stoned to death. And so they're thinking Jesus is way out of line. They're not not just thinking, oh, that's interesting. They're thinking this is of the highest offense to God. That man deserves to die. And the reason why they respond in such a livid way It's because of this. Who can forgive sins but God alone? You see, the scribes knew only God has the authority to forgive sin. Until now, we've seen different elements of the authority of Jesus. I talked about this two weeks ago. We saw his authority over the mind. He's a great teacher. He taught things with an authority and a way that people hadn't seen before. But there are many teachers we saw that he had authority over the spirit. He would exercise demons. He would tell the demons to leave and they would obey his voice. But he's more than just an exorcist. We saw his authority over the body. He healed many. But Jesus is more than a healer. Today, he's displaying who he really is. He has authority to forgive sins and therefore, he is saying he is God. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus is saying, I can do that. I am God. What an incredible thing that he is saying. Jesus is either lying and therefore is a great sinner, or Jesus is telling the truth, and he is our great God. And the question is, how will you respond to the words Jesus is saying here? Because each of us need to make a decision on who Jesus will be for us. We can't just say Jesus, oh, yeah, like he's, he's a great guy or, he told some great stories, because the things that he says are highly controversial. He is saying he can forgive sins. He is saying He is God, and so what will you say about him? Will you decide with the scribes that he is lying? that he is sinning, that he's blaspheming against God? Or will you decide that what he says is true and that he is indeed our great God? You can't be lukewarm about who Jesus is. His words won't allow us to be there. We must make a decision. And my hope is that you will decide that he's telling the truth. That he can forgive sins. That he is God and then, That has a lot of ramifications for you and what you do next. So, that's the first thing we see that Jesus is our great God. The second thing is that we see forgiveness is our great need. I talked about needs and wants at the start. This is our great need as people to be forgiven of our sins. What do you want from God? If you could come before God and say, God, this is just the one thing I want, the one thing that I need right now, what would it be? The Bible says it is forgiveness. Now, when we come to the paralytic, we know what he wanted. He was to be healed. I want you to imagine for a second what it would have been like to be the paralyzed man. Now, we don't know when he was paralyzed Uh, It might have been five years ago. It might have been 15 years ago when he was young. He might have been born with this condition. Uh, But I think it's safe to assume that when he heard that there was a man who was able to heal sicknesses and illnesses, that that he would have been ecstatic. That he would have been so excited that there was a possibility that he might be able to walk again. And I just imagine that he hears about Jesus and he's waiting and waiting and waiting for Jesus to return to Capernaum, just waiting for a chance to, to just be face-to-face with him and to plead his case and for Jesus to respond to him. And finally, in chapter 2, that day comes, Jesus returns, re- returns to Capernaum. He hears that Jesus is at the house. And so along with four of his friends, they go to the house. Except they're late. The house is already full. The doorway is jammed, but they don't give up because he's desperate and has faith. And so they climb up on the roof, they dig a hole, and they lower him down. By the way, when they dig a hole, it's not like a small hole for him to slip through like like this. He's lying down. So they're like, I think the roof was like half gone. They had to dig a big enough hole for a mat or a bed to fit through. And this man is lowered down into this packed room right in front of Jesus. And Jesus turns to him and looks him in the eye. Right? This is the moment that he'd been waiting for. So eager, so hopeful. And Jesus turns to him. And what does he say? Right? We know what he wants to hear. Son, your paralysis is healed. But that's not what Jesus says. He says something kind of out of nowhere. He says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And I don't know what the man would have felt in that moment. Uh, Maybe he would have been like, What, in the world? Discouraged? Maybe he really understood the importance of what was being said. But it's not what was expected. Why does Jesus say this? Why isn't the first thing that Jesus does, why isn't it healing the man when he so desperately wants it? And the reason why is because even though that's what the man wanted, it's not what the man needed. This was the man's greatest want, to be healed, to be made right to be made whole, but all he thought of was his physical body. But Jesus, being God, knows what's best for us, and he gives the man what he needs. He's not being cruel here. He's not playing games. He's offering to the man more than what he wants and more than what he even understands that he needs. The man needs his sins to be forgiven. This is his greatest need. And out of love and compassion, he offers it to him. As we read on, that truth that this is what we need is emphasized. Right, verse eight. Right, verse seven. Uh, the scribes they were thinking Jesus is committing blasphemy, but right? only God has the authority to forgive sins. And in verse eight, immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that the scribes questioned within themselves, right, that he's blaspheming, said to them. Why do you question these things in your hearts? By the way, this is very ironic, because the people are thinking in their hearts, oh, this guy's not God. It's blasphemy. But Jesus, because he's God, knows what they're thinking, right? Do you see the kind of irony there? Okay, (laughs) verse 9. He says, which is easier to say to the paralytic? Which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk, But right, Let me just explain what's going on. To say your sins are forgiven is easier to say even though it's harder to do because when you say your sins are forgiven, right, there's no kind of external change, right? You, you can't see if it actually happened. Easier to say even though it's a harder thing to do. Now, rise, take up your bed, and walk is our easier thing to do, but it's, it's harder to say because the moment you say that, well, something's Gotta happen straight afterwards. Does it make sense? And so Jesus is saying, I said this incredible thing. I said that that man's sins are forgiven, but you're not believing me, right? You don't know if it happened. So let me say what seems to be harder. Rise up, take up your bed, and walk, right? Harder to say, even though it's easier to do. And so that's what he says, verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Now I want you to notice verse 10. The man was healed, but it's like an afterthought. If the scribes didn't question in their hearts, I don't think Jesus would have healed that man. The reason Jesus heals the man, verse 10, is so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. It's about, again, sin. That is what is most important. And so you believe I can do that, I'm gonna heal. But it's not about the healing. That's like a secondary thing. I'm healing so that it will validate who I am, that I am God, and what I can do, forgive sins. And so come, right, get your sins forgiven. Right? It's about the forgiveness of sins. That is our great need. Now, when I see this story, it's, it's, it's so interesting. It's, it's kind of mind-boggling that Jesus would put such an emphasis on the forgiveness of sins. Now, if you've ever been in an accident, gone through illness, or known someone who's gone through illness, or old age, or you know, been hurt, or maybe died, you know the importance of physical health. How much we long for it, uh, that when we get sick, how much we just wish we could be healthy, and how devastating it is when we lose health. And yet Jesus is saying, even more important than your physical health, even more important than that, that this thing that we all understand and we all desire even more important than your physical health is your spiritual health. More than a physical healing is your spiritual healing, your sins being taken care of. That if you could choose between one or the other, that you should choose being forgiven of your sins. I don't know if that challenges you. Right? Because we long to be healthy. But that's not what Jesus offered this man. Because it is not what he needed. You know, we come to God in church with many wants. And maybe you're here because you want something from God. You want a relationship. You know, you want a date. You want to get married. You want a job. You want your illness to go away. You want more money. You want to hear a funny sermon. Right? You want to find the perfect church. They don't exist. Those things, though they are good and important, are not the most important thing. What you need today, my friend, is to get your sin problem figured out. You need to come to Jesus. You need to repent. You need to receive forgiveness of your sins. That is ultimate. And when you get that, everything else will sort itself out. Even if this paralyzed man never received healing from Jesus in this story, because he was forgiven of his sins, one day, one day he will be healed and live for all eternity in a perfect place with a perfected body forever. Right, That is a promise we have when our sins are forgiven. And so let me ask you, do you believe these two things that I've talked about so far? I've got one more point, by the way. Two things that I've talked about so far to be true, that Jesus is our great God and that forgiveness is our great need. Do you believe those things? Let me tell you what it means to believe this. If we really believe that Jesus is God and forgiveness is our great need, then that means this. When the man was lowered on his mat, lying down, and Jesus turned to him, still paralyzed, and Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven, in that moment, that man was the richest man in the room. That's what it means to believe that forgiveness is our greatest need. As all these people were standing by watching him, that man was richer than the more because he had something that they did not have. He had something far more valuable and precious and eternal. Even though he did not have some things, and even though he could not walk, his sins were forgiven. And so he was richer, right? Do you believe that, right? I challenge you. That's what it means to believe forgiveness is our greatest need. So our great God is Jesus. Our great need is forgiveness. And number three, this is my last point. I'm asking you, what is your great want? Do you want what you need? Do you want that blend of chicken and vegetable and The things that are good for you? Or do you not want that? We're going to move on to the second story. And it feels like it's totally different from, you know, what we just talked about. uh, But thematically, it's very similar. First, in verse 13, we see Jesus call Levi to follow him. Verse 13, Jesus went out again beside the sea. And all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. By the way, uh, Jesus teaches, right? It's very big, okay? Uh, that, that's his thing, okay? Not, not healing, not casting out demons, teaching, right? I want you to read Mark 1 and 2, teaching and preaching. Okay, maybe I'll talk about that another day. Verse 14, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, right? So this means Levi's a tax collector. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And Levi, his name's Matthew, Levi Matthew, he rose and followed Jesus. Now, when you read the Gospels, it becomes very clear that tax collectors are people that no one liked. And to keep it short, uh, they were people who betrayed their own people. So they betrayed their fellow Jews. They were Jewish people who were working for the Romans, right? kind of like they're working with the enemy, going around in a corrupt system, charging a lot of tax from their fellow friends and their family, right? their fellow Jews right, working for the Romans because they loved money or they loved power or they loved security, and they take this tax from their friends, and they take some of the, skim off the top for their own pockets and get rich, and they give it to the Romans, right? they betrayed their people, basically, no one likes them. And so Jesus goes out to a tax collector, specifically, it's like he's looking for him and says, you, tax collector, the guy that no one likes, follow me, right, we read on verse 15. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners, right? Now there's lots of them, were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So again, now Jesus is hanging around, eating a meal, having fellowship with a lot of people that a lot of other people hate. Verse 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, this is important, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? It's a good question. Why is Jesus hanging around with those people? Why is this man who says he is holy and from God, hanging out with people who are the opposite of holy, and, you know, they're called sinners, That describes what they're like. Why does Jesus associate himself with those who are nothing like himself? Well, why is Jesus hanging around them and not the religious leaders? Why is Jesus with them? And Jesus answers, verse 17. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Those who are sick do. And when we read this, I don't know about you, we think of the story we just heard. Maybe you think that. There was a sick, paralyzed man who needed help. Right? The sick, paralyzed man was a person who knew he was sick. That's really important. And because he knew he was sick, he sought out help. He sought out a physician. He sought out Jesus, the healer, right to be healed. Now, that's what we think, right? I don't know if that's what you think. It's really important to know you're sick because the sick look for help. If I went up to you today and I said, Hey, you need to go see a doctor. You need to go see a surgeon. What would you say? You'd maybe be offended. You'd be like, What do you mean? Like, I don't need to go see a doctor. You'd say, I'm not sick. I don't need to see a doctor. I don't need to see a surgeon. What, what are you saying? But what if I went up to you, let's say, and I pointed out the something on your arm, and I said, look at that thing, right, it's growing, look at the way it's colored, da 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 and I said, I showed you you were sick. At that point, I wouldn't even need to tell you to go to a doctor. The moment you believed and you knew you were sick, you would say, I need to go to a doctor, right, does that make sense? The physician was a man who knew, I mean, the paralyzed man was a man who knew he was sick, and therefore he sought out a doctor. If you're sick, you seek out help. Now, Jesus clarifies what he means, because he's not talking about the sick. He says in the next sentence, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Right, this is what Jesus is really talking about. He replaces the word sick with sinners. He replaces the word well with righteous. And just like I said with the Paralyzed man and that story. What Jesus is really about is about the spirit, the spiritual. Are you spiritually sick? Are you a sinner? That is who he came to call. This is the reason why Jesus is hanging out with the tax collectors and sinners because they are like the paralyzed man in that they know that they are sick, not physically sick, but they know that inside that there is something going on. Internally, it's a mess. They have a heart problem, not physical, but spiritual. When they look in the mirror, they know that the person looking back at them is a person with a list of regrets and mistakes and mistakes. And they carry a lot of guilt. They know that they are broken. And because they know they are sick, they know they're sinners. They know they need help. And that is why Jesus is with them. Because when he offers to people like this help, forgiveness of sin, they receive it. They are like the paralytic, but on a spiritual level. They want what they need. Their need is forgiveness of sins, but they want it because they believe they're sinners. They believe they're sick. That is true not just for them. It's true for all of us sitting here today. I said that our great need is forgiveness of sins. But you won't want that if you don't believe you're a sinner. Do you believe that you are a sinner here today? Do you believe that you need help for that sin problem? Because then it doesn't matter if a, a doctor walked through the door that could heal your physical, your spiritual sickness, sorry, your spiritual sin. If you don't think you're sick, you won't go to them. Now, this is in contrast with the scribes. Jesus calls them righteous. Now, they're not really righteous. They just think they're righteous. They think that they're good. They think that they're, you know, they look around. I don't know if you're sitting here, you look around. You're thinking, I'm pretty good at compared to that person, compared to the guy sitting next to me. They maybe grew up in the church, maybe ticked a lot of boxes, maybe know their Bible pretty well. They didn't do the things that their friends did in high school. I'm pretty good. Jesus doesn't eat with those people because they don't think they need help. They don't think they need a doctor. They don't think they need their sins forgiven. Listen to the way that they talk. They ask Jesus, why does he, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? Do you see what they're saying? Why does Jesus eat with those sinners? Implying that they're sinners, but we're not. And that is a very dangerous place to be in. You know, it's bad to be sick. It's worse to be sick, but refuse to to believe it. And I was talking to someone maybe two months ago, um, and someone they knew hurt themselves physically, and they needed to go see a doctor, uh, but they refused to believe that something was wrong. And I was talking to them, and how frustrating it is. Because if you believe you're sick, at least you will go seek help. But if you refuse to believe it, well, then you're stuck there, and you're not going to get the help that you need. This is what the scribes were like. This is what the righteous were like. And I wonder if some of us are like that today. You grew up in the church, you think you're pretty good, but when we offer, when Jesus offers forgiveness of sins, you think, I don't think I really need that. That is a very dangerous place to be. Jesus didn't hang around the the scribes because they did not see the root problem and they did not want what they needed you know when my wife and i we got married we invited uh, people to the place that we were living at and one time we invited uh, her mom so my mother-in-law uni's mom and on the day that she was meant to come i think like an hour before or something she calls because she had a slip and she hurt herself but she said don't worry about it i'm gonna come it's, it's not a problem and we we're like, no, no, just, just, don't worry about the dinner. It's not that important. We'll do it another day. You know, go see a doctor. And she's like, nah, it's fine. It's fine. It's like, go see a doctor. Right? We just kept telling her. Eventually, she went to see a doctor. And she found out that she broke her, I think, her wrist. Right? I don't know. It's like, like, like an old Korean thing. I don't know if you have Korean parents here. It's like, no, I'm not sick. You know, I walk 10,000 kilometers to go to school in the snow. You know, I'm not sick. Um, I wonder how many people are walking around with broken, not hands, but broken souls, just unwilling to seek help because you don't think there's a problem. You know, the Bible says all have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us have done right, none of us are righteous, and all of us are broken. What all of us need is forgiveness, but is that what you want? Jesus is our great God and forgiveness is our great need. And because Jesus is God, he can give us that forgiveness. But is that what you want today? Do you believe you are broken and messed up internally? Are you seeking the great physician? Let me just close um, with just an exhortation. If you are a believer today, trying to love the king, live his way, I want to encourage you to remember what you already have in Jesus Christ. Even for us, us who are saved, you know, we forget what we already have. And we come to God acting like we need these things that aren't that important. God, I need that new And it's always the iPhone I would say. I need that new iPhone. I need that bigger house. I I need this relationship. I need these things. But when we don't get them, we grow bitter. When we don't have them, we're discontent with our lives. I just want to encourage you to not forget what you have. In Jesus, you have far more than what the rest of the world has. You are forgiven of your sins. You have assurance of salvation. The Holy Spirit lives within you. You will be with the Father, not just now, but for all eternity. You have God's word, you have God's ear, and you have eternity. If you are not a believer today, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, or maybe you used to go to church and it's been a while since you've really followed him, I just want to kind of encourage you today don't be discouraged by all the other things that you might want to chase God for. Don't chase you know, for him for the wrong things. Don't even chase him for good things and miss out on the best thing. Right? The best thing, the most important thing is that your sins will be forgiven. And that is what is on offer for you today in Jesus Christ. Jesus is offering you, if you will trust in him and turn away from your old way of living, that he will forgive your sins. You don't earn it. You don't have to do anything for it. It is by grace. Believe in him, and he will forgive you of your sins. This is the most important thing that you can have. Far more than wealth, far more than health, he will forgive you of your sins. But even as I say this, I feel like maybe some of us sitting here today are thinking, hmm, but but not for me. I, I don't think Jesus wants to give that to me. Right? I don't think Jesus wants to have that relationship with me. Right? Right? I, I'm too bad. I don't deserve that. Right? I, I am I am a sinner. And let me tell you, you are exactly the person Jesus is inviting to Himself today. I would rather any day a person who says. I'm too bad for Jesus than a person who thinks that they're too good for Jesus, right? The person who, who thinks they're pretty, pretty righteous and holy and they know the Bible and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm such a good, good guy or good girl and I tick all the boxes and I sit at the front row of church. I'm sorry for the guys who are sitting at the front row of church. Filled with pride and righteousness, They will never fall at the foot of Jesus and plead for forgiveness of sins. But if you're sitting here thinking, I'm too bad for Jesus, you're in the right place. Are you just mistaken, thinking that you might want Jesus, but he doesn't want you, but I want to tell you, he wants you today. And I know that because this passage tells us, he came not to call the righteous, but he came to call sinners. I know that because he went out of his way to reach out to Levi, Matthew, a tax collector, a person that no one liked, loved, or wanted to be around, specifically chose him. I know that because I look to the cross and I see the extent of his love for you, that Jesus would die on the cross for your sins, to restore his relationship with you, That the perfect one will be treated as a sinner, that the Son of God will be rejected by the Father, that the eternal one would taste death. And he did that for you, that your sins could be forgiven, and that you could have a relationship with him. And so if you're sitting here thinking, I'm too bad, you're not. You're exactly who Jesus is calling to himself today. So let's close our eyes and I just want to spend a little bit of time in prayer. And wherever we are, I just want us to return to Jesus. And maybe for the first time or maybe for the 10th time, receive what is our greatest need. Jesus is God, and because He is God, He is able to offer us what no one else in this world can offer us. He can offer us forgiveness for our sins. All of that dirtiness and guilt, the burden on our shoulders, the list of regrets and mistakes, the wrongdoings that we have committed against God our Father. He can wipe it clean. But is that what you want? Is that what you desire? Are you a person who looks inside of themselves and believes that you need help? You know, in the story of the paralytic man, you know, we think it's a story of one man being healed, but it's actually a sad story because it's a story of a room full of people who are not. Because if those people truly understood what had just happened. They wouldn't have just been amazed and glorified God. They would have been amazed and glorified Jesus because they would have understood he was God. And they would have come and fallen at the foot of Jesus and said, forgive me of my sins as well. If that is what you are able to do, and I believe it, I need to be cleansed. I need to be free from this great weight. I need this. As much as a paralyzed man needed it, I need it more. And I don't want you to miss out on what Jesus has to offer today. Would you come to him? Would you fall? In your your hearts, would you just lay down at his feet? Confess that you are a sinner. Cry out that you need this forgiveness. You want to be washed clean. And he will do that for you today. The greatest gift that we have never deserved and it is utterly free if you are a believer let us rejoice let's be thankful that despite everything we don't have we have so much in jesus christ that we would spend eternity praising him for our salvation that our salvation alone is worth worshipping him today Let's return to Jesus and let's just pray wherever we are and respond to what we have heard today. Let's pray.